The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Executive Minister and Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, uh, which is led by the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the senior minister and was founded by the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. Uh, I'm in the midst of a series titled The Magic of Thinking Big, and I'm actually now on the sixth chapter. So that's what I'm going to teach today. You are what you think you are. You are what you think you are. Now, before I get into uh, the points of the show, I want to just acknowledge that Tomorrow is Thanksgiving in the United States. I know that there are some people who listen to this show in other countries and even other continents. And I do want to just acknowledge that, uh, you know, even if it's not uh, Thanksgiving in your country, just know that this is always a great time to give thanks to God for peace, for love, for health for well-being, for prosperity, for wisdom, for understanding, or whatever you feel as though you're grateful for, your loved ones, even if they're no longer on this side of existence. Thank you, God, for allowing them to be a blessing in our lives, to have touched our lives, for us to be able to go forward. So I do want to make sure that that is acknowledged. Now, if you're in thanks, you know, Thanksgiving, Please, please, please be safe tomorrow. I know some people are going to get together no matter what. And um, well, please wear your mask. Maintain your social distancing and do the things you need to do so we can make sure that we're not indirectly affecting the health of others, even if we're okay and asymptomatic. Now, let's get to the book, The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Schwartz. I did ask everyone who was following my show to make sure that you actually got the book because I'm teaching it chapter by chapter. And it's important that you get it because, one, I'm skipping over stuff. I'm only hitting highlight points. And I want to make sure you have time to sit with the book, to contemplate the material, and go along with it. So as I'm, if you're reading the book ahead of time, once I get to the point of teaching it, I'm just giving some new insights but Spirit would have already given you insights. You would already have an opportunity to have your own reflection around the material. And I think that's great as well. All right. Now, let's get to it. Page 126. He talks about how some people get treated better than others, while some people have different reactions to different people. And he wrote, look closer still, and you'll also observe that the most persons who command the most respect are also the most successful. Now, successful can mean a lot of different things because many times people demand respect because they're successful does not necessarily always mean that that means monetary success. And I know that that's what he means in this book, monetary success, career success. But you can also get that respect because 
of the success you've had in raising your family, success you've had in being able to communicate with your friends, success in being able to, in being a person that's reliable, that gets things done. It doesn't always have to be one line. It can be respect because of, for instance, viewing the, the world of health, for instance, you know, how you take care of your body, how you eat and things of that nature. So I just want to make sure that we don't limit it to one thing. People can get respect based upon success, but you have to make sure that you define what success is. And for me, I always tell people success is getting your desired results. If I'm playing basketball, success is putting the ball in the basket. Putting the ball in the basket. All right. That's success. The game of basketball is putting the ball in the basket and stopping your opponent from putting the ball in the basket. It's really clear. All the rules are based around those two things. All right. So going on, he says, what is the explanation? It could be distilled into one word, thinking. Thinking does make it so. Others see us in what we see in ourselves. Others see in us what we see in ourselves. We receive the kind of treatment we think we deserve. Now, again, context. So what he's saying is that energetically, what you think, what you feel, what you believe radiates from you. Even if you haven't verbally or physically communicated something, it radiates from you and what you radiate, you attract. And I agree with that 100% with the caveat that there are times and situations and circumstances where you have to function really high to function above the collective consciousness. For instance, you know, people who, um, you know, have dealt with slavery, for instance, in the Americas or, or uh, in other countries, things of that nature. They say, okay, this person deserves to be th- treated like a slave. Oh, I don't think like a slave. Okay, then that means you, your consciousness got to be at a certain level to where somehow, somewhere you're living above like 99.9% of the people who are in your situation. You have to become Moses, basically. So, and Moses wasn't even trained and cultured in that environment. The point that I'm making is this. Um, even when you're reading material, make sure you put it in the proper context. What he's saying is on an individual basis, in an individual on an individual basis, you tend to trend towards how you think of yourself, your own self-evaluation your own inner conversation, your own belief system, and you allow people to treat you that way because subconsciously you will attract folks who will fulfill your inner belief. Therefore, what you believe becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I want to make sure that that's clear. A self-fulfilling prophecy. So it's important that you have the right type of mental action when you're dealing with people. Now, let me just be clear about another thing. What you, how you think about yourself influences others, but it's not always the only determining factor because one of the things that we ha- also have to be mindful of is that everybody else that you're dealing with is also a free will being. All right? Therefore, they can choose to see you beyond how you see yourself. And I think if you bumped into situations and circumstances where you ever played sports or you has ever had a mentor 
or a family member who saw more out of you than you saw in yourself because they could see your potential, that means that there are times when people see more than what you are expressing because they see your potential. Now, I know I've benefited from that personally, and I have numerous examples of benefiting from someone seeing more out of me and their expectation called me up, which he'll talk about a little bit later. The expectation called me up to the level of excellence that people saw in me. All right. Now, back to the book. He goes on to say, think, uh, bottom of that page, thinking does make it so. The fellow who thinks he is inferior, regardless of his real qualifications, may be how, or regardless of what his real qualifications may be, is inferior. For thinking regulates action. Now, I agree with this 100%. What does that mean? If I have a negative self-image, if I have a diminished self-image, then not only will it affect my thinking and feeling on what I say, but it will also dictate the actions that I take because I'm allowing, you're allowing, we are allowing this inferiority complex to determine how we navigate life. All right. And I love it when he says, if a man feels inferior, he acts that way and no veneer of or of cover up or bluff will hide this basic feeling for long. The person who feels he isn't important isn't. Now, not as a state of being. He's talking about as, in other words, you know, you're important because you're the image and likeness of God. That's the truth about you. But your expression shows up as lack of important because that's what you believe. All right. He says, on the other side, a fellow who really thinks he is equal to the task is. To be important, you, we must think we are important. Really think so. Then others will think so too. Here again is the logic. How you think determines how you act. How you act turn in turn determines how others react to you. All right. So, for instance, if you're in a situation, a circumstance where you are demanding some... Uh, I ain't going to use the word demand. I don't want to use that word. But you are seeking the influence of respect in the space. It might determine how you show up and act. For instance, when you know when I first started teaching New Thought uh, Metaphysics in the Johnny Coleman Institute, um, you know, I've been teaching Noon Days for about a year after I finished my training. And I started teaching at age 25. I was like, you know, a couple of months into 25. And one of the things I, I discovered very early on was this. Because of my age at the time, I couldn't joke around with folks because I was already young enough to be most of my students' ch uh, child or son. And I was old enough to be some of my students' grandson. Therefore, even though I like to laugh and joke and things of that nature, my disposition was very serious because I needed to be taken seriously and I couldn't be just cavalier with how I was presenting myself as a new spiritual leader at the age of 25. At the same time, I was also a, a customer service manager at this grocery store named Dominic's and being that age yet again 
you know, there are people who are younger than me because it's grocery. There are people same age. There are people a little bit older. There are people, some people much older, and there are some people that were old enough to be my grandparents. And I had to navigate all of that, which meant that how I showed up, how I presented, how I presented myself, uh, amongst everything, you know, disposition, dress, facial expression, vocal tone, things of that nature. Like, okay, you can't come in here just, you know laughing and joking with everybody then expect them to get serious because sometimes that didn't make sense now and you know i can turn it on and turn it off as i need to because i'm older i'm seasoned but more importantly uh, i have the especially in the church world a reputation for getting things done and being an excellent presenter therefore i have more leeway to play around with it because i've already help create the narrative of who I am as a presenter, as a minister, as a teacher, as an administrator, as a manager of people. So you have to be careful how you navigate it. Again, how you think determines how you act. How you act in turn determines how others react to you. All right. Okay. Next page. I mean, next, not next page, next paragraph on page 127. He wrote, self-respect shows through in everything we do. Let's focus our attention now on some of the specific ways we can increase self-respect and thereby earn more respect from others. Now, he started off with look important. It helps you think important. Now, I love this because I can remember when I was a young manager at the in the grocery chain. I was one of the people, especially when I went and worked in a neighborhood, I'm not going to say the, the, the street address, just out of respect of uh, of the area. I love the people over there, but at one point I got sent to the poorest area in Chicago to help open the store. I wasn't supposed to stay there and up being there for a year. It was only supposed to be a month. And while I was there, most of the managers wore the white shirt, the tie, pants, whatever. But I will always wear the suit jacket with the, you know, you know, instead of just the shirt, tie, and pants. And people would ask me about it. I said, well, it's presentation. Look important. It helps you think important. This is one of the things that Johnny Coleman, the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman, impressed upon us all the time. You have to look the part. You have to look the part. You know, she would tell people, and when she was she was so radical in how she would talk about it, but she would, you know, if you were on the platform with her, you had to be right, you had to be clean, you had to, you had to look the part, and because she was teaching people that it was God's will that every individual on the face of this earth should live a healthy, happy, and prosperous life, and she focused a lot on teaching God's abundance. She wasn't going to have a situation, a circumstance where people didn't reflect that. That was a part of her consciousness. And people could say, oh, that doesn't make a difference. It's the church. She wasn't saying that for everybody that was walking in the door. She was saying that for the people who represented and reflected her. You got to show up a certain kind of way. Now, these days, you can be super clean without a suit and tie on. You know, somebody's gym shoe, jeans, top combo might cost more than some people's suits and dresses now. The point of it that I'm making is look important. It helps you think important. You got to look the part. 
There are times when people don't want to look the part. And believe me, there's something unconscious in humanity that says when a person shows up looking the part that we treat them differently because we see them differently. When, you know, that woman comes in with her power outfit on and that man comes in with his power suit on and it 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 it, it speaks something unconsciously. It just does. And I'm not saying again, it depends on what it is that you're doing. Um, he says it this way. Rule, remember your appearance talks. But it, it sure it says positive, be sure it says positive things about you. Never leave home without feeling certain you look like the kind of person you want to be. I love it. Don't leave the house like, oh man, uh, I'm just going to throw something on. Care about your appearance. Care about your hair. Care about your um uh, you know, clothes, don't look sloppy, don't look raggedy, you know, if if at all possible, you, you know, even if you're gym shoes and jeans or jogging suits or shorts or whatever, make sure what you have on looks right and reflects what you want to present to the world. It goes on to say, the most honest advertisement ever appearing in print is dress right. You can't, you can't afford not to. Then he goes into some other stuff that that that's pretty cool. But what what I want to just acknowledge is the story he talks about Lone Ranger with his with his son with his son on page one twenty nine. I think it's such a good point. He talks about how he wanted to make sure his son wanted to be Lone Ranger for whatever I don't remember some situation, and he couldn't find a Lone Ranger hat, and his and his son said to him, on, it's on page 29, but dad, I can't think like the Lone Ranger without a Lone Ranger hat. And there's something about being in the uniform that matters that shifts your disposition. It shifts your disposition. You know, soldiers, you know, I have soldiers in my family and the outfit matters. The outfit matters. You know, I've seen people fire, you know, I've had, you know, firefighters in the family, police officers officers in the family. The outfit matters. It helps shift the disposition. When you see martial artists, you know, and I feel the same way when I put my different uniforms on, it matters. So I even have different uniforms for different types of training. If I'm doing qigong tai chi type stuff i have more calming relaxed looking uh uniforms when i'm doing more harder drilling things uh i have different uniforms for that when i'm doing karate i have a uniform for karate when i'm doing northern style uh chinese martial arts kung fu i have a uniform for that when i'm doing some other stuff i have a uniform for that like literally depending on what i'm doing i have a uniform for it why? Because it just helps with the thinking. Okay, I know when I'm in this, now it's time to handle the business in this particular kind of way. It's just perspective, but it does make a difference. You are what you think you are. Your appearance, he says, your appearance talks to you, but it also talks to others. It helps determine what others think of you. I can remember 
being on the lake of Chicago and I have this kung fu uniform on and I got like a you know, dragon and tiger on my back of my uniform and you know I'm out there it, literally in you know on the ocean swinging a Chinese broadsword practicing you know of which I'm sure was beyond illegal uh, I have a broadsword my teacher has a spear and we're out there doing some training and the police walk right by us start talking to us and and then they keep on going now I'm pretty sure they were supposed to tell us you can't have those type of weapons just out here in, on, in a public area practicing. But because we had the uniforms on, we were just wearing a guy walking down the street with a sword or a spear. The, the appearance matched what we were doing. Hopefully that, that helps. It shaped, it influenced how we were perceived by the people who were supposed to tell us to stop doing it. All right. So he goes on to write. Uh, it helps determine what others think of you. In theory, it's pleasant to hear people uh, hear that people should look at a man's or person's intellect, not his clothes. But don't be misled. People do evaluate you on the basis of your appearance. Your appearance is the first basis of evaluation other people have. So sometimes you don't get past that first impression. Sometimes you don't. All right. So he goes on and tells, and tells a story about these grapes, about how there were some grapes that cost way more just because of the packaging. And he said when he asked the guy the difference, he, he wrote uh, that, the, the grapes that were in a particular type of bag sold twice as much even though they cost more than twice as much because of the packaging. Then he wrote, think about the grape example the next time you're selling yourself. Properly packaged, you have a better chance to make the sale and at a higher price. The point is, the better you are packaged, the more public acceptance you will receive. Mm. All right. The better you are packaged. Now, your packaging, as far as appearance, has a lot to do with a lot of things. It, it could be appearance. It could be disposition. It could be how you use language. All of those things matter, especially in particular settings. Especially in particular settings. So, he goes on to say, respect your appearance. And he talks about it on page 131. When people ask him, well, I can't afford, you know, really nice clothes. So he wrote something that I think was really interesting. Pay twice as much and buy half as many. Commit this answer to memory, then practice it. Apply it to hats, suits, shoes, socks, coats, everything you wear. He's talking, obviously, primarily to men in this book, but it applies across the board. Insofar as appearance is concerned, quality is more important than quantity all right then he gives some points number one your garments will last more than twice as long because they are more than twice as good and as a rule they will show up quality they will show quality as long as they last number two what you buy will stay in style longer better clothing always does number three you'll get better advice merchants selling two hundred dollars suits are usually more interested in helping you find the garment that is just right for you than merchants selling $100 suits. So he's saying, okay, 
you might not have as much, but make sure you have some things that make sense for you to give you a sense of empowerment. But I, and I know in this era of social media, people want to have as many things as possible, clothes and things of that nature. And I get, you know, people want to show off their clothes. My thing is, okay, if you can't buy a whole bunch of really nice something, stop buying what you can incrementally. So you can up your appearance game. It does make a difference. It does make a difference. People pay attention. Consciously and unconsciously. To how you show up. How you dress. Alright. It's talking to others. Alright. Number. Uh, you know what. We're about a minute out. So let me do my commercial. And then I'll come back to this. Because I don't want to stop my flow once I get going. Alright. Let me get my quick commercial for CUT stuff. Uh, just a reminder that you can watch the Christ Universal Temple live stream Sunday service, which is online only, on our website, www.cutemple.org, on our Facebook page, Christ Universal Temple, and on our YouTube page, which is CU Temple. Make sure you check those out, 1030 a.m. until noon central time every Sunday. We also teach a Facebook live lesson Monday through Friday at noon central time. I, along with the Reverend Marjorie Cook, who is the assistant minister of Christ Universal Temple, and uh, Attorney Gavin Jackson, who is the COO, we teach noonday lessons, which out of the Daily Inspiration for Better Living, which is the periodical for the Universal Foundation for Better Living. Make sure you check those out. We also have, uh, I want to remind you that this show is on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher. Please go on and give it a five-star review uh, and a positive rating. This show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. My request is that you like the page, give it a five-star review, and write a positive rating. All of those things help with the algorithm. It will help get this podcast in front of people. If you feel as though that this message is beneficial, share it. Grab these podcasts, send them to other people. Make sure that you share it with other folks. Put it on your social media. Let's help get this thought process out to the world. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We're in the midst of the book, The Magic of Thinking Big. I'm teaching the chapter, You Are what you think you are all right so then he wrote started talking about how do you think that you're important he, he wrote think your work is important and he tells a story there's a story 
often told about the job attitudes of three bricklayers. It's a classic, so let's go over it again. When asked, what are you doing? The first bricklayer replied, laying brick. The second answered, making 9.30 an hour. And the third said, me, while I'm building the world's greatest cathedral. It's all about perspective. You have to think and know that what you are doing is important. It's important. I can't reiterate it enough. It doesn't make a difference where you are. If you're a person that is working, if you're a person who uh, staying home to take care of your children, if you are a caregiver, if you are doing anything that supports others, you have to think about it in a way that promotes the level of importance. You know, sometimes you don't realize how important a thing is until it's present and in front of your face, the issue, the circumstance, what the world calls the problem, the challenge, the opportunity. Then you realize how important the thing is. I can remember when, you know, when my mother was still here and um, you know, and I moved her into my home and I was taking care of her. She was ill and, you know, good son, I'm gonna take care of my mom, do what I needed to do. But one of the challenges was I still had to go to work every day. And, you know, the process of, you know, because everything happened so fast, it was difficult to get the caregivers, you know, to get that approved. You know, you got to apply for it, it has to be approved, all the stuff that goes along with that process. And, and she got ill, like, really fast. So I had to have a situation, a circumstance where I had to have people that she knew come to my house and sit with her until I could get home. And, you know, I'm just working at a mega church, you know, with thousands of people trying to navigate this, teach class, preach when I'm assigned, all of that type of stuff, and have people in my house just sitting with my mom. And then my sister would, you know, get off work and then she would have to come out and and all of those type of things. And I'm sharing it because I didn't realize how important it was for just that, for the people who do that type of work. How, how important it was, not just to the person who they're taking care of, i.e. like my mom, but to the actual people that are connected to the person who's going through the health challenge. It's exceptionally important. You have to think about what you do as important. You have to think about what you do as important. With this pandemic, people are realizing just how important it is to have people who work in restaurants, and, you know, where you can pick up food and leave now how important it is to have folks who still can deliver your mail or deliver your packages and make sure that you have what you need in a timely manner, how important it is, for instance, we just went through an election, how important it is to have election officials and people who, who count votes, even in the midst of a pandemic. Think about what you do as important, as important. I can remember telling the guys when when I was in the grocery business, the guys that used to push the carts, I would say to them, there are people who will drive up to a store, and if the parking lot has carts all over it, they will keep driving because they don't want to chance their car being hit by a car, cart. The uh, So when people pull up to the store, before they ever see it, they see this parking lot in disarray. They may or may not want to shop there and if they do they already have a perception of the place before they ever walk in the door 
It makes a difference. Think about your work is important. Think about your work is important. It doesn't make a difference what it is. Think about your work as important. Because you don't know how it connects the dots to other things sometimes. Many times when, when you're the owner or the supervisor, the CEO, the COO, the manager, you have a larger picture and you can see how the things are connected. Sometimes people don't. And it's necessary at times to help people see how things are connected, how what you do here has long-term effects. You know, I often joke with some of the people at Christ Universal Temple pre-pandemic, obviously, when we had people in the building, you know, I would say to folks, you all are some of the best volunteers I've ever seen. And there's a couple of people who I consistently mention, you know, man, what you do is so important because it allows the ministry leaders to focus on other things because they know Oh, she has that already. You ain't got to worry about it. That'll be handled exactly the way you want it done. Now my mental energy, now the other spiritual leaders' mental energies can be put on other factors to help take care of the people. What you do is important. Important. I, I, I can't say it enough. Now, back to the book. He wrote on page 133, like your appearance, the way you think toward your work says things about you to your superiors, associates, and subordinates. In fact, to everyone with whom you come in contact. So when people don't think that you are taking the job seriously, that you are cavalier with your work, that you don't do what you need to do, if you're wasting time, if you're always late, if you're unreliable, that's relaying something to other people, whether that's work or the household. Somebody's watching and somebody is modeling what you do, even if it's unconscious, uh, even if it's unconsciously being done. All right. Back to the book. Back to the book. And it gives many examples about how a person thinks about the job. I'm not going to drill down on that. You can read that for yourself. But on page 135, he wrote, But think instead, I am important. I do have what it takes. I am a first-class performer. My work is important. Think this way and you're headed straight to success. Let's think about this type of self-talk. I am important. How often do we actually say that to ourselves? Not from an egotistical point of view. I am important. I do have what it takes. I am a first class performer. My work is important. Those are affirmations to help condition your subconscious mind to create a new paradigm to paradigm to live from. I am important. I do have what it takes. I am a first class performer. My work is important. I can't say enough about that. You're conditioning your mind. This type of self-talk, this type of affirmation, this type of declaration makes a difference. All right, then he wrote, I love this, the key to winning what you want lies in thinking positively toward your 
self? Do you think positively towards your own self? How do you view yourself? You are what you think you are. Now, this is a very powerful question. Wear the shoes of a supervisor for a few moments and ask yourself, which person would you recommend for a raise or promotion? The secretary, who, when the executive is out of office, spends her time or his time reading magazines, or the secretary who uses such time to do the many little things that help the executive to accomplish more when he or she returns. Number two, the employee who says, oh, well, I can always get another job if they don't like the way I do my work, I'll just quit. Or the employee who views criticism constructively and sincerely tries to do higher quality work. Number three, the salesman who tells a customer, oh, I just do what they tell me to do. They said, come out and see if you need anything. Or the salesman who says, Mr. Brown, I'm here to help you. Number four, the foreman who says to an employee, I tell you the truth. I don't like my job much. Those guys up top give me a pain in the neck. I don't know what they are talking about half the time. Or the supervisor who says, you've got to expect some unpleasantness on any job. But let me assure you, the men in the front office are on the ball. They'll do right by us. Now, what it's saying is simply this. Showing the contrast of if you are in the position to give the person the raise, to give the person the promotion, to give the person the advancement, who are the type of people you're looking for if you owned the company or if you were responsible for those results? In other words, your job was on the line if they passed or failed. What type of people would you want? Reverend Ike used to say, what would my church be? If every member was just like me, what would my church be if every member was just like me? Could things still get done? Could things still get financed? Would they have the volunteer support that they need? Would they have the prayer support with the, you know, the talk of, you know, of what's happening? Is it constructive, positive? Or if there are breakdowns, you address it properly instead of gossiping. What would the church be if every member was just like me? What would my job be if every employee was just like me? Mm. What would my neighborhood be if every homeowner or apartment renter was just like me. Now, some of you all would say it would be fantastic. And some of you might say, you know what, I need to think about that a lot because maybe I'm not as committed to what I'm doing as I could be. What I'm saying simply is this. While you're doing it, go all out. And when you're done with it, be done with it. But while you're doing it, go all out. And I can remember, again, going back to pre-ministry days working for some very difficult people very difficult one is coming to mind in particular that I used to joke with my buddies about like man this dude but I did my job with excellence and the opportunity to get away from him showed up really fast 
maybe six months, six to eight months, and, and I was moving on. Why? Because I believed that my mind was focused on what I wanted to do in my job, not this person who uh, struggled to be a person who people would want to work for. Again, how you think about it matters. All right. So if you had to make the decisions about promotions, advancements, or to give the loan, or the financial support, or to be the investor, you have to know why. You know, I was reading, you know, year a couple of years ago when I was reading the book Abundance Now by Lisa Nichols, and I ended up teaching it. If you haven't followed that series, I would strongly suggest that I did a lot of episodes on that on on based upon that book. And she talks about how she had to take her company public, and what that meant was she had to get investors because she had an idea where she wanted it to go, but she needed the seed money to do it. So she had to go present her game plan to investors so they could see that she was a sound investment. She had to sell them. She was already a a, a motivational speaker and life coach and teacher that was helping people around the world, but she wanted to take it up to another level. She had to sell herself. This is what I'm doing right. These are the results that I'm getting. These are the results I can get with your investment. This is how fast you can get it back. She was showing the importance of her work to the investors and doing it in an efficient manner that gave them the confidence that they were investing in something that could change and transform people's lives and give them the benefit of a positive investment where they would get their uh, money back and then some. All right. So on page 136, David Schwartz wrote, remember, executives answer the question, what would he do on that specific level by answering the question, what kind of job is he doing where he is now? Some people want promotion, some people want raises, some people want more responsibilities, and they're not handling what they have. Sort of like giving a $100 bill to a three-year-old and then say, walk with your older sibling to the grocery store and buy some candy. They don't know what it means to have a $100 bill. They They don't comprehend it. They won't treat it right. Well, there are some people, because of their lack of understanding of what they're really doing, are not treating the position they're in properly right now. As I've told many people, the job you hate, you probably prayed to God to get. Now, if you discover you don't like it and you want to do something different, do something differently. But it's just funny to me how people will pray, oh, you know, pray with me, I'm, I'm applying for this job. And then three months later, They hate the job. They're showing up late. They're uncooperative. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Especially when you know that you're seeking advancement. So wherever your feet land, 
you need to make sure that you're doing it to the base, best of your capability because the who you are really always working for is yourself. You are you incorporated working a job. You might not view yourself as an entrepreneur because you're working in a system, but I want you to take a a look at it from a different perspective, a potentially larger perspective. You are always representing you. You are always reflecting you. You just never know how things will work out. You know, I just like literally just gave a reference to somebody who used to uh, volunteer because he's an exceptional volunteer. Well, no, I'll be glad to give a, a reference. You just never know when you'll need it. I've been around a person in a decade or more. But you never know when you'll need it. So it goes on to say, page 137, a person who thinks his job is important receives mental signals on how to do his job better. And a better job means more promotions, more money, more prestige, more happiness. In other words, what I'll say is, focus on being more effective where you are. How can I be more effective? Instead of, what can I get away with without losing my job. You know, how often can I be lazy, late, non-responsive, not good in my turnaround? Because there's some places where, depending on the system, is protected to a certain extent, seniority and other factors, where, you know, the, the weakest link is sometimes protected by the system. Don't be that person. Show up as excellence, even when other people in the system aren't. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. Somebody's paying attention. I'm just saying, somebody's paying attention. You know, uh, let me move on. And he talked about how, he said, we all notice how children quickly pick up the attitudes, habits, fears, and preferences of their parents next paragraph and so do adults people continue to imitate others throughout life and they imitate their leaders and supervisors their thoughts and actions are easily influenced by these people be mindful of how you work around folks it makes a difference then he goes on to write bottom of the page the way we think toward our jobs determine how subordinates think toward their jobs I always tell people on the staff at Christ Universal Temple, what you do is making a difference in the world, regardless of the job. The person who picks up the trash around the building is super important because they might not drive in the building to hear Reverend Wells or me or another minister if they show up and the appearance of the place doesn't look right. Or when you walk in and they're not greeted with a smile, if you know those things turn people off. What you, what we do makes a difference to humanity. So we have to treat it as such. All right. It goes on to say, um, here are two suggestions for getting others to do more for you. Page 139. Always show positive attitudes towards your job so that your subordinates will pick up right thinking. Number two. As you approach your job each day, ask yourself, am I worthy 
in every respect of being imitated? Are all my habits such that I would be glad to see them in my subordinates? Oh, I love that. In other words, if they were doing what you do, would you be happy? Well, you can easily say, well, they can't do what I do. I've earned that. Okay, I get that. I'm going to come right back to it. You're reflecting something. Do you want to reflect it back to you? All right. Moving on, page 141. All right. He tells this great story about pep talks and things of that nature. A guy had to do his own pep talks. I'm not going to tell the story because we only have about five minutes. He wrote, The Moral, page 141. The Moral, practice uplifting self-praise. Don't practice belittling self-punishment. You are what you think you are. Think more of yourself, and there is more of you. Even something as simple as, oh, I don't have time to do this, or I can't handle this, or whatever, all of that type of stuff uh, gets in the way of you accomplishing things. Uh, I remember, you know, recently, you know, telling a young person, and I'm not going to say who just because, you know, it was a private conversation. But telling a young person, be mindful that you study things. Persons, you know, in uh, trying to elementary or early high school, something like that, uh, either junior high or early high school, that you study to master the subject, not just to pass the test or the assignment. So people don't. A lot of people don't think in the, along those terms. I used to tell my daughter the same thing when she was younger. You study to master the subject matter. Some people get, you know, I'm not really interested in this. I'm just studying it to pass it. But if you have an interest and this is really a goal, then you have to study for mastery. For mastery. People study for different reasons. But if you're going to lay your hat on, this is what I do, as an adult especially, then you study a thing for mastery, not just to know it surfacely or superficially. Study it for mastery. If you if you want to become a better leader, then you need to study leadership principles. Get your John Maxwell books and other folks and study it until and practice it so you can master it. If you're studying prosperity, consciousness, you get your material, you get your books, you listen to my podcast, you do the stuff you need to do, and you study it for mastery. Healing, spiritual growth, meditation, you study it for mastery. People who are exceptionally successful in their crafts study for mastery. I always love the story of young Kobe Bryant Asking Michael Jordan in his last year with the Bulls how to shoot the fadeaway jump shot. How do you know when to shoot it? How do you know when you you should go left? When you should go right? You know how you know. And Jordan explaining him the nuances, and then he went and just did it, and did it, and did it. And to this day, when people shoot uh, garbage into a uh, garbage can, at least in America. They shot, they say Kobe. 
or on the court. Boom, 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 dribble back. Kobe, now, it wasn't Kobe's shot. But he, he found somebody who did something better than he did, and he studied it to the point to where he could get it and make it as efficient or almost as efficient as Michael Jordan's. Study for mastery, not just to be good enough. Master it. All right. So he gives a chart that I want you all to read on page 144 and 145. It's called How I Am thinking checklist and it gives situations and then questions you ask yourself. I think it's really important that you do it. So to wrap up page 145 summary of the chapter. Look important. It helps you think important. Number two think your work is important. Number three give yourself a pep talk several times daily. Build a self sell yourself to yourself commercial. We would call that in New Thought what you affirm to yourself. Number four, in all of life situations, ask yourself, is this the way an important person thinks? And just play with it. And just play with it. And just play with it. So next week, we're going to cover the chapter Manage Your Environment, Go First Class. You don't want to miss this one because I got some really uh, nice stories to tell with this particular chapter. God bless you. Enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. Stay safe. I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.